I've heard of your love, and I do not cease to give thanks for it. These are the words of the Apostle Paul, or perhaps one of his students, writing to a church in Ephesus, in the ancient city of Ephesus, to remind them that love is foundational to everything they do in their congregation. Now, this is one, in the, in the original Greek, one very long run-on sentence that Paul just seems to get so excited about as he keeps adding phrase after phrase after phrase after phrase. It finally ends in a theological flourish about the resurrection. It's, it's filled with uh, theological depth. And yet, everything he says is founded on the idea of love. It is love that defeated death on that first Easter Sunday. It is love that empowered the church to spread around the Mediterranean region in a way no one could have seen or predicted or ever counted upon. It was love that empowered that church. It was love that gave the earliest Christians courage in the face of persecution. You know, there was a letter written from a Roman government official named Pliny, who lived in Western Turkey. He wrote the letter to the emperor, Trajan, complaining about this group, we would call it the church, he called it a cult, this group of folks who did not worship the emperor, but instead worshiped one they call Christ, as though he were a god. Pliny wanted to persecute them, he wanted to punish them, torture, even execute them if necessary in order to make them understand that if you're a part of, of the Roman Empire, you will worship the emperor. He goes on in his letter to say to Trajan, these people are known for making a vow to not lie, to not steal, to, to not spread gossip. They keep their marriage vows, they promise to keep their marriage vows, and they meet each week for a communal meal where all share with one another. Trajan reads this letter and he essentially responds to Pliny by saying, our empire will not be harmed by a group that meets and promises to not lie, to not steal, to not gossip, and to keep their marriage vows. We cannot possibly be harmed by them. It was love that encouraged the earliest Christians to practice the faith that they'd learned and discovered in the teachings of Jesus Christ. It was Jesus, of course, who summarized and said, said to his followers that all of the commandments, all of the law, all of them can be summarized in the simple command to love God, to love neighbor. In the Sermon on the Mount, he identifies a little bit more about that. He says, you are, we, are, we are called to love our enemies. What he's essentially saying in that moment is our enemy is also our neighbor. And the command to love extends to them. Indeed, love enhances the gifts of faith and hope. Do you remember the Apostle Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, chapter first uh, letter to the church in Corinth, chapter 13? Now faith, hope, and love abide these three, and the greatest of these is love. It's a beautiful statement about what empowers the church, but love does more than enhance these gifts. Love does more than make our hearts beat faster. Love sometimes comes as a challenge. 
It was love that empowered and challenged Martin Luther King in the 1950s and into the 1960s to take on the sin of racism in the United States of America. And I use that word sin intentionally. It was King and tens of thousands empowered and encouraged by love, standing up in the face of, of violence and fear and death threats and worse to bring about the Civil Rights Act. You know the, you, you know the, the rock band U2. You probably know by now it's my favorite band in, in, ever in, in the world. They're led by the singer Bono. They once memorialized Martin Luther King in a song titled Pride in the name of love. There's a line that is haunting us in the chorus. What more in the name of love? What more in the name of love? As we celebrate on this beautiful day, this amazing day, as we formally dedicate this organ to the worship ministry and life of this church, that question rings around this room. What more in the name of love? Not only in our worship, but in our lives and in our practice. Is there a time the church has been called to give its love away more so than this time, this era? Look around the country. We seem to be filled overwhelmed by ugliness and hate. What used to be called clearly lies now somehow stands as truth. What more in the name of love can we do? Now, there's a politician, and I, I hesitate to quote this one. This one serves in Congress, but unfortunately voices like this as we get closer to the midterm elections seem to be louder and louder and louder this congressperson on a Sunday morning on the chancel of a church that claims to follow in the way, life, and teaching of Jesus Christ declared that if Jesus had more assault rifles, the crucifixion never would have happened. It is a despicable lie. It is a horrific word. It is as far as you can get from the teachings and the life of the one we name Lord and Savior. It's time, it's time for us to call out these words of hatred, these words of, of, of ignorant theology. You know, when you combine ignorance with fear, it too often leads to hatred. What more in the name of love? When I look at our church, I'm extraordinarily encouraged when I see the way love has empowered our ministries, consider just a few of the things. One week from today, we will commission eight new congregational care ministers. These are lay members of our church who've gone through a period of training and are now ready to serve you, providing pastoral care. We already have nine who were commissioned earlier this year. Now we have 17. They'll write notes, make visits, make phone calls, and pray for you and your friends. It's an amazing thing to watch a church actually commit itself to caring for one another. Or what about Camp Akita? For 70 years, Camp Akita has proclaimed that you are welcomed and accepted in that place. No matter who you are, how you identify, you are accepted. We put that policy in writing. Our gender equity policy is now part of our ministry at Camp Akita. We want to make sure that every young person, every adult knows that they are welcomed and accepted as they are. Our community justice ministries are doing a variety of things, none of them more exciting 
than the work with an African-American congregation where we gather with them once a month to march against the proliferation of violence in our neighborhoods. It's amazing to see what happens when we, we cross over barriers and boundaries and unite together with friends near and far. Our heart-to-heart food pantry is functioning at a very high level, and thank goodness it is, because more and more people are needing food. Our refugee ministry started up again this fall and welcomed a family of 10 from the continent of Africa. I heard a report about our choir breaking out into spontaneous laughter and joy in the middle, in the middle of one of their rehearsals, I think getting ready for, for this weekend. Now, these, these folks are serious and work very hard, but joy being present in the midst of that serious hard work is a beautiful thing. You know, I, I might sound like I'm bragging, But as Dizzy Dean, a Hall of Fame baseball player, once said, if it's true, it ain't bragging. And I tell you, it's true, and there's more. What more? In the name of love. In this part of the sermon, I'm preaching to that man on the screen. I invite you to listen in. We live in a country that seems to be, as I said a moment ago, overwhelmed with meanness. Simple, ugly meanness. What more in the name of love? Well, you know, the Apostle Paul wrote other letters. He wrote one to the church in Rome and another one to the church in Corinth. Both of these letters are theologically dense and rich, but you can find embedded within the theological uh, writings simple, clear, practical advice. In the name of Jesus, he says, put aside meanness, slander, gossip. Put away these things that get in the way of love being made real. Perhaps that's where we need to begin. Maybe more than anything, what you and I can do to fight against the loud, angry, ignorant voices of hatred in our land is to begin practice kindness here in our interactions with each other. Maybe it's that simple and that hard. Three weeks from today, we'll begin the season of Advent. One of the hymns, I'm certain, will be a hauntingly beautiful Advent carol. There will be a line in that carol that instructs us to bid envy, strife, and quarrels cease. Let's not wait three weeks. Let's begin now. What more in the name of love? Let us allow love, that love which I've seen among us made real in so many ways, empower us on this and every day of our lives together. Amen.